0: So we came up with something and it's called Jimmy needs a doctor. And I, th- I think that's great. I think it's funny and and it I think it makes you lean in as a listener like what the hell is this all about? And then when you start to listen you'll be hooked on hopefully the content that we're providing for you.
1: Well, I felt it was a good name because I've always felt that about you. And I didn't know <laughs> that we were I didn't know we were naming a podcast. I just thought <laughs> we were having a conversation about your issues. And this one had nothing to do with mental health. It was another issue you were having. Uh, But we we can talk about that later. But uh, yeah, so that's that's the name change.
0: All right, everyone. Welcome back to another exciting installment of Not Minds Your Business. Because Dr. Lee Hancock and I, the esteemed, can I call myself the esteemed, Jimmy Conrad, have decided that maybe that wasn't the best title for what we wanted to do. We maybe workshopped it to people after the fact, and they said, I thought it was a business podcast. And in some ways it is. It's just your personal business, not like business business. So we've changed it. And Lee, before we get into the name, I feel like we want to build some suspense here. (laughs) Uh, Do you feel like we're a failure? Because this first name didn't really work out for us.
1: So I feel like we're a failure because a name didn't work out. I mean, <laughs> I feel uh, just like anything else, it's always a work in progress. And, you know, I I like the idea of the Minds Your Business because I think it's about sports psych and athletes and an athlete and a sports psych. And But we always said it; we wanted more than athletes. You know, we wanted to have it about <clears throat> the – performance you know whether it's actors or musicians or um business people whatever but uh yeah no failure no i don't feel like a failure okay if anything we
0: just learned right there's that famous nelson mandela quote that he never loses he either wins or he learns and i feel like we're learning here as we evolve into what we're gonna become and we came up with a name that people are gonna be like what what is going on here but i think that it's memorable like it's not like anything else so if i went and searched minds your business on spotify or apple music there's like 3000 things and we probably should have taken a deeper dive into that that was on me that was my responsibility like nah, we're such special guys dr lee's he's so handsome and charming like and, and and you know i got some stuff working for me like that'll that'll punch through the crowd but but when you look to go search if we we're in this age of search optimization and all that uh yeah we were going to fall pretty flat on our face so we came up with something and it's called Jimmy Needs a Doctor. And I, I think that's great. I think it's funny and and it'll I think it makes you lean in as a listener. Like, what the hell is this all about? And then when you start to listen, you'll be hooked on, hopefully, the content that we're providing for you.
1: Well, I felt it was a good name because I've always felt that about you. And I didn't know that we were I didn't know we were naming a podcast. I just thought we were having a conversation about your issues. And oh, this man. one had nothing to do with mental health. It was another issue you were having. Uh, But we we can talk about that later. But uh, yeah, so that's that's the name change. And um, I like the name change because I think having this idea of, you know, somebody who has played and then has questions about it and then somebody who fields those questions and then is able to ask and answer those and then and then get people on with the same type of idea. You know, it, it, it speaks. It speaks to me.
0: And it speaks to me as well, so I'm excited about the name change. Hopefully, we won't change it again, and I don't think there'll be a need at this point. Well, Jimmy maybe the doctor is so memorable.
1: Maybe if I get bigger and, and I have a bigger audience, then maybe we'll call it Lee needs a soccer player. Uh, because <laughs> I, I feel that. like that's also a good name. I hope that happens. I hope <laughs> that happens.
0: All right, Doctor Lee, we got through the name change part. Hopefully, everybody's on board and still loving us with everything that they have. But now it's time to introduce a very special guest to the show. He's a survivor winner. He's a cancer survivor. He played professional soccer, and his name is Ethan Zahn. And I've been friends with him for many years, so I'm excited to bring him on because he's got so many great stories to share. How excited are you, Dr. Lee, knowing that you really might not know as much about him, but now that you do,
1: you want to ask him a ton of questions? What an amazing story. Uh, This guy seems just stuff that he of course all the things he's he's done in his professional career as an actor as a player and his personal life you know and what he's had to go through and 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 grow from um but also just some of the things he's doing off the field it uh, just seems like a just a really good guy an amazing human being I'm, I'm i'm excited to listen and 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 ask some some questions and learn a lot from him so yeah, i am i'm super stoked
0: all right let's bring him on now Ethan, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend?
2: Oh my God, it's so good to be here. I've been waiting for this moment for so long and it's finally here and I just don't know what to do with myself right now, but I am just so blessed to be here. Dr. Lee, I don't believe one word
0: that he's saying right now. Are
1: are you feeling the same way? I feel like he meant every word of it, so just keep it coming. I feel better just because of it.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. Okay, so Ethan, you have such an incredible story. I don't really know where to start. But to give some context as to you being a player, you went to high school, you did the whole college route, you did all that, you started to play professionally in the USL, went over to Africa and played professionally as well, which I'm sure was quite the experience. What I really want to dive into a little bit is, why did you stop? Mm-hmm. What, what, what was the catalyst for, I don't want to do this anymore, I want to do something different with my life?
2: Well, the soccer playing part of my story is probably the shortest part of the story. <laughs> well, I never had intentions of you know trying to play soccer you know post college you know I made it in marine biology I moved to Hawaii I'm like there's a lot of water here I'll find a job didn't work out but there was an open tryout <laughs> for the Hawaii tsunami I thought is a is a big, big PR stunt so I'm like all right I'll go down and try out <laughs> I made it as a backup goalkeeper and I'm like okay I'm going to play pro soccer for the rest of my life bounce around the USL but the reason I stopped playing was strictly cuz I don't think I was good enough at that time, so I'd come back from Africa. I played for another season in the USL for Cape Cod Crusaders, and I was back up again. And I was, you know, getting up in my age. I just had to reevaluate my my life choices, I guess you could say. And uh, you know, my mom says I was unemployed. I say I was in between life choices. That's the <laughs> way I like to present it to her. Um, and so that's kind of why I stopped playing. And uh, I was living in New York City, coaching at Fairleigh Dickinson University. So I was still around the sport. You know, I still play in like you know men's league stuff, but my playing career as a professional definitely wasn't uh, my path.
0: I, I asked this because I had a tough time when I had to stop playing. You have to shed this identity that you had, and I just wondered, even even though you didn't maybe reach the the heights that you wanted to, you still have to go through that process. And I don't think maybe that gets as much weight as it should for players that are trying to aspire to be professionals.
2: Well, I think the fact that I even played professional for me was like a dream scenario, right? So for me, just to get to that point in my career was a big win for me. And then to stay in the league for a few years was even better. So when it was over, I kind of understood why it was over. I'm not stupid. I saw people around me they are better players. You know, I I can evaluate the game. So it was was, was a smart choice. And I was just kind of, I was chasing a dream that wasn't going to happen. And that's originally why I went to Africa kind of in the first place. You know what it's like, you know, seeing the lower level players. You know, you get, second job for most people you get you know 200 people a game maybe but for me to travel to africa where soccer is their life and they're saving up their entire like wages just to go to a game on the weekend and there's thirty thousand people in the stands that's something i personally needed to feel and have that experience in order to like check off that box in my own mentality like I played pro. I stayed in a big, played in a big stadium. People cheered my name, and that was it. So I, I, needed that feeling, and I got it, and that was enough for me.
1: As you started, you said you, as you started to wind down your career by, by choice or by not choice, um, you said you went into coaching um, in the city, and so was that mm-hmm. something you were like you felt passionate about from an early age. Was it one of those things that you just kind of fell into? I know we've talked about this, Jimmy, a few times about ex-players go, well, if I can't do anything else, I'll coach, right? So is <laughs> that a big passion of yours or what kind of, what led you to that?
2: It wasn't a big passion of mine. To be honest, I was, you know, coaching and training at FDU while I was playing. So it was kind of uh-huh. like a, I got, you know, the benefits of both sides of that thing. And then when I stopped playing, I continued coaching just because I was already in it. Um, however, I think I was too close between my playing days and my coaching days to really be an effective coach because I still want to be a player. And so I was trying to just be a player and a coach at the same time. I was a great assistant coach. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Cause like I was, you know, 27, 28, I was that in between person. And I could kind of filter the information from the team and bring it to the coach and vice versa. So I had that experience. I did mostly the goalkeepers and assistant coach. So, I didn't get my coaching certificates. I didn't do any of that stuff. So I kind of just fell into it. So in hindsight, I wish I had put more effort into it. I wish I've taken the courses, learned a little bit more about the game. I'm a super fan, a good player, but I didn't have that. Uh, I don't think I had the, 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 the skill set to be an effective coach at that time in my life. Yeah. And that could have discouraged me from continuing. And also, yeah. I also tried out for Survivor right in the middle of it, and I got oh, was on. Was that so right like, at
1: the same time? Yes, yes. Oh wow! So okay. I,
2: like my career was spiraling out of control. I was coaching, and then I applied to Survivor as a joke because, like, literally, I had nothing to do one day in New York City. I was bored. My roommate was bored. We're like, what do you want to do? And he's like, "Well, we can make a video for Survivor." I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it." And so we we're just. <laughs> Chugging beers, running around New York City, make editing it on two VCRs with VHS tapes. This is wow. 2001 we're talking wow. about. And uh, the funny thing is, I was supposed to make a video for him, and he was supposed to make a video for me. But we ran out of time for him, so we only made my video, and we FedExed it the night before it was due, and then
0: you know the, the rest is kind of history. Wow wow that's incredible it? so at that point then did you give up everything i mean you gave up everything else than to, to chase survivor at this point i don't even know what that commitment's like what do they tell you when when like hey for six months you're gonna disappear on some island and probably weigh 30 pounds less and hate everybody i don't know how <laughs> what did they say that's a good analysis except that's 39 <laughs> days not six months but yeah that, that they actually don't
2: tell you a lot when you do get cast for the show you know my my survivor was filmed in africa i did not it was in Kenya, Africa. I didn't know where we were going until we were on the layover in Amsterdam. So they, they keep it very secret at that time. So that experience is about a uh about an eight week commitment. Uh and you're just totally drop off the face of the planet and uh come back a lot later.
1: Well, you, you mentioned your it's funny, you mentioned your mom a little bit ago. She she must have been thrilled with this life choice. This must have been one of those things where she was like, Hey, let's let's do this, or was she like, um, I don't know, I don't know what we're doing here
2: luckily it was so early in the trajectory of like survivor and reality TV. She had no clue what it was. Cause if she did, she would yeah. probably not have let me go. Cause you know, like, I'm, a, I'm a good Jewish boy. You know, there's no blankets and food and, you know, jackets and socks out there. So she would have had a tough time uh, sending me without that, you know, equipment. But wow. when I got back and I played a sec, I played a bunch of times the second time she did not want me to go. And then most
0: recently she did not want me to go either, but wow.
2: you know, it's a game. It is the ultimate game, Jimmy. I'm still trying to get you on, you know. I
0: know, I know. I, in some ways I feel like I I think I'd be good at this, but then then I realized when you didn't win the the most recent times, if Ethan can't make it happen, <laughs> I'm not sure uh, I can make it happen. Thanks. Buddy, uh, I appreciate that. With regard to Survivor, how much did you lean on being a player? How much did that inform some of the decisions you made and being a part of a collective and how to form alliances, let's say, with certain people that you thought had the goods to help you know move you along?
2: Yeah. Good question. This is uh, you know, I know this is a soccer ish podcast, um, but for those who don't understand the show survivor, or don't know what it is like 16 strangers, desert an exotic location, split them into tribes. You're given challenges and you're deprived of everything you feel comfortable with last person standing wins a million bucks, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a game that you need to navigate socially, physically, spiritually, environmentally, financially, and so it's a really interesting position to put yourself into. And I definitely leaned on my skills as a soccer player, as a team player, as a goalkeeper. Um, I felt that like I literally, I took that assistant coach role out there because survivors, a game of relationships is how you work with one another, how you interact with the other people that determine how well and how far you'll go in the game. So I, my strategy was to, was based on real loyal and trusting relationships, which wouldn't fly in today's game, but back then it's kind of what we relied on. So I made myself like a crucial member to everyone else's life out there during the game. So if they got rid of me, their game would suck and they would be missing out on something. Like I did well in the challenges, I got the food, I was like consoled them after a loss, congratulated them after a win. I was like that team player, you know? Um, I was the backup goalie, I was the assistant coach. And so what ended up happening, which was really interesting, is the guy i was aligned with this guy named lex head coach ethan assistant coach rest of the team so lex would complain to me about the team and the team would complain to me about lex and i would just filter that information and then spit it out how i wanted to to benefit me and get me ahead in the game wait wait wait, wait
0: really really yeah. quick doc well, let's pretend ethan's not here for a second dr lee uh, it sounds like Ethan is a master manipulator. Are we on the same page here?
1: <laughs> it's a mix of like mean girls slash master manipulator slash like Dr. Evil. And he's got this whole thing <laughs> in the big stool, wrapping it up. and, and then With a big smile on his face, then, right? And then he vomits out this million dollars. I mean, that sounds like <laughs> – I mean, who doesn't like that stew, dude? Who doesn't like that? Yeah, that's I mean, what sounds dog- to me
2: you're doc you're a psychologist
1: uh, I'm a mental skills coach and um, yeah so basically I work with athletes and and help them with their performances. So I mean just yeah the stuff that you're talking about is amazing you know as, as you're talking, I'm thinking because uh, I, I you know I watched it you know over the years off and on and and of course I'm watching all of it but I'm thinking okay, what are they thinking? you know? And, and it's interesting that you talked about the, the seasons and how they've progressed and that your, your, your approach wouldn't fly now. It's almost like, it's like the game. It's like soccer and how it's progressed over the years or football mm-hmm. or any other sport. And what happened early on wouldn't, wouldn't sustain itself. But it, you how, how did you know the tack to take? Was that an honest approach to take in, in that you were trying to survive, but you were also, you had a genuine interest in the people that you're working with to some extent you're always you always know it's a game but you you know you have a there's a sense of appreciation for people i I guess my question is like how how did you know to take that approach
2: well to be honest i didn't it was definitely adaptation of an original strategy like like to be honest i had every intention to be do whatever I had to do to win the million dollars. Evil, backstabbing, you know, lie, cheat, <laughs> steal, all that stuff. But what then when I got model. out there, thank you. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> uh <laughs> I don't talk about this side of it too much, but you but, sound um, just
1: like you sound just like Jimmy Conrad, by the way, but he talks about this in life. So you're a perfect guest. You're a perfect guest. Okay, keep going.
2: Uh yeah, we're I don't know, but oh so, but when I got out there, it changed because like once you take away food and you take away water, you're tired, you're hungry, you're thirsty, your true colors come into focus or mm-hmm. your true personality, I feel. And unless you're the best actor or actress in the world, you can't hide from the camera for 39 days under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. So it just, it really just wasn't who I was. I just couldn't bring myself to play that type of game because it would be so unauthentic. And I don't think I would have been able to be successful at pretending to be someone I wasn't to win a million dollars. So I'm like, Let's just go back to basics. Let's play the game the way you play your life. And, you know, I knew I'm not a good liar. I'm not a good person to to deceit and steal so what do you do you find someone that is so this guy lex <laughs> was an asshole yeah. he was an a-type personality he liked to stand up and bark orders he delivered good news bad news that was his thing he thrived on that and i noticed that very early i feel like i can read people fairly well so i'm mm-hmm. like i gotta saddle up to this guy the other guy i lined with big tom was a total distraction comedy a little bit racist a little bit like sexist and like took the attention off me again right so mm-hmm. i'm like i'm gonna line with this guy and so you find these pockets and you align with people who have a skill set that are different than yours that can help you get ahead in the game you know i felt i knew who i was going into the game so i could make those adjustments on the fly like any good coach does or player does that's okay
0: awesome. okay Yeah, that's amazing. There's a lot to break down there. And now I'm kind of, once the million dollars gets thrown out there, I assume that changes your life. And I assume that changes how people treat you, even people that you thought you've known for a long time and knew intimately. You know, how how did that potentially come in and and, and impact your mental health in some ways? Because I I wonder, you know, I mean, they talk about people that win lotteries getting depressed Mm. and, and you know, if you really take a hard look at it, you could understand why, but if you're just thinking about the money, you're like, why would anybody be depressed with all that money? But, but I think you can maybe speak to a little, some elements of that.
2: Yes. I didn't play the game Survivor to win the money. Because um, as an athlete, I literally saw this as the greatest game, athletic feat on the planet. And if I could win this game on the world stage with 27 million people watching every Thursday night, that is something I can be happy about. So the money was a little side story. Obviously, it was a motivator, but for me to win was the biggest motivation. Um, and like I, had, it was re- I had a really interesting experience out there where like I was literally I was pretending to be a Kenyan, living off the land, trying to make water and fire and stuff for a million dollars. And it just didn't sit well with me. And I, I won one of these reward challenges, Uh Jimmy, you've probably heard this this story before but I, w- I, got, I won a challenge where I won these two goats which I wasn't so happy about but I got to take these goats to this little village of Wamba and I started playing hacky sack with all these little kids because you're allowed to bring one item from home and I brought a hacky sack because they wouldn't let me bring a soccer ball so I brought a hacky sack we started playing and like communicating through this sport that we both love with this toy and for a million dollars and just ah, and I later found out that all these kids were HIV positive because they were hanging out in Wamba Hospital so here I was in the middle of this game this cutthroat game of survivor and I had that real life experience. So it was at that moment I decided, okay, if shit goes my way and I won the million bucks, I'm going to do something good with it. And that's kind of how the next phase, Jimmy, as you're saying, uh, we got into grassroots soccer. But to pick up on, did people treat me differently? I was 27 years old, million bucks living in New York City is a really fun time of my life, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm sure – you know, Jimmy, you may or anyone might be able to experience those type of moments when you're on top of the world. But yeah, people treated me differently. I'm not going to lie. But I, I have a great core group of friends, guys I played with in college, after college, high school. Like I have got two older brothers that keep me real and grounded and like under, tell me when my head is getting too big. So I definitely had fun with the, the celebrity side of things. I still am, but I understand where that ends and kind of where my real life begins.
1: Wow. That's a, that is amazing. I, 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 your, your piece about going in and wanting to win says a lot about you. Um, I, and I, I feel like that's an interesting piece because I think that goes to the competitiveness um, about who you are. Um, and I wonder if that hasn't then obviously an impact you there because you go in and, and I think that confidence stays with you. You know, you, you get to walk around as a winner. All your life you've been on tv and you're a winner which is like winning a, a world cup or an mls championship or yes. you know i see jimmy smiling over there <laughs> i mean i only won happens. one
0: if i didn't win a world cup that would be that would be i was just trying to visualize how cool that would be i mean i would be in insuff- i mean i'm pretty insufferable now but i think i would just be you know next level if i won a world cup
1: i did see you looking <laughs> off and envisioning that which is why i threw in the mls because i thought i'm gonna lose jimmy for fucking 20 minutes now <laughs> um but it's interesting because that that winning piece and that mentality, I bet, has served you well. Then after that, right? Because you have that confidence, which is that is the number one piece right there. If you get that result, and I feel like that that must have served you well in your in your next projects and 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 in your your goings on. Definitely, I think the drive to win definitely mm-hmm. helps me. However,
2: I, I a lot of how I got to where I was was because of a succession of failures, to be honest, you know, like Mm -hmm. I wasn't a good soccer player. I wasn't a great coach. I got a full-time job in New York city that I didn't really do well at. And they fired me before I basically got hired. And like, so all these failures in my life led to, okay, I'm going to try on survivor, but I still had that competitive edge that drive to, you know, I guess be successful at whatever I'm doing at that moment. And so Yeah, but to get to win gave me the confidence to just, it gave me the confidence and the freedom, to be honest. I mean, the money did give me freedom to be able to try things that I always Mm -hmm. wanted to do, but would have never been able to do because I had to like do some other stuff like work um, for the time being. So uh, that's why I took the money and invested in uh, grassroots soccer. So like the money did not mean anything. It meant a lot to me, but it didn't mean that much to me. So I used it to start this charity, grassroots soccer.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that really quick because I think it is very special. And I, I didn't know that experience that you'd had uh, in the village with those kids. I had gone down to South Africa for a preseason trip in 2003, and we went to a very similar place that you're describing where all the kids were HIV positive. And it's very... Um, I don't even know the word for it, but you, you it puts things in perspective that what you're doing is not that big of a deal, and that you should just enjoy the ride that you're on. And you kind of shed maybe that pressure and expectation that you were putting on yourself or maybe that others put on you. Hmm. And you just, you just kind of stay a little bit more in the moment. And I thought that was a really uh, uh, great experience in terms of understanding the the world at large and that there's bigger things at play than just whether you made a bad pass and you feel bad about yourself. So when uh, you came back from South Africa, like, did it impact
2: your life in a bigger way or when you were like,
0: I would say that it gave me more patience mm-hmm. uh it made me understand that there are areas of the world that need more love and attention than what they're getting and that's why i try to actually when i do give to charity it's like love football mm-hmm. um i know i've worked with you guys before mm-hmm. um and trying to think about different ways to impact the world in, in a way that um yeah, I mean, it, that it's, I feel like I'm a global citizen. I think when you go on those mm-hmm. types of trips, you, you come back as a global citizen. You're not just thinking about yourself anymore and maybe this, you know, you start to think a lot bigger. And I think that was maybe my biggest takeaway. Did that happen again?
2: Ever? When you what happened all the time? Maps? I mean, I went, down
0: to, I went down to Costa Rica. We had this CONCACAF Champions League and game and just the amount of poverty that you see and to see the kids struggling and, and the simple things that they're lacking... And in that moment, there's not much you can do because you're there to play a game and you're there and you're going to get out. Like there's not a lot of stain, but it does stay with you. And then when I went, this was maybe even more impactful. I went to Ghana ahead of the 2014 World Cup. I was now in the media. I had retired and we were going to preview all the countries by going to the countries that were playing against the U.S. in the 2014 World Cup. And Ghana was one of them. So we went to Accra. And the craziest thing that I saw was that on one side of the street, you had a five-star hotel. And then on the other side of the street you had like hutches that didn't have ceilings and just the the obvious disparity of rich versus poor and how it's just there in front of you they're not even trying to hide it uh is was something that really stuck with me and I got to learn more about the right to dream academy uh, something that uh, they're doing a great job and and I, something I'm trying to slowly implement in the area that I live and putting planting some seeds now to, to, to make a difference uh, at that level but yeah it's It's all been super impactful. And I think being able to travel the world and it, it, it makes you a better, more well-rounded person for sure.
2: Yeah. Well said, man.
1: Was, was that experience in, um, Kenya, a driving force for you to starting grassroots? What was the impetus as you got home and you started to maybe live the life of a 27 year old, um, (laughs) bachelor millionaire? Uh, what was it? What was that catalyst? What was the impetus
2: the impetus was uh, the starting goalkeeper for the team I was playing for, called the Highlanders Football Club in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. Contracted HIV, kicked off the team, ostracized from community, and ended up living in the the rest of his life in a really lonely, horrible way. <clears throat> this is a national sports hero where kids used to run up and ask for his autograph and touch him, and there's no no cameras there, but like. And then all of a sudden that happened. So that was my real impetus. But that was when I was in Africa. I didn't know what I could do about it. Then Survivor comes along, had the money, had the fame. And that's helped me make the decision. And I met up with uh, three other soccer buddies of mine, all guys that had played with me, or I played with them in Zimbabwe, a guy named Tommy Clark. His father's Bobby Clark, famous coach. Um, Kirk Friedrich and uh, Matembe and Lovu who I think played for the revolution for a couple of years years. Um, but those were the four guys. We're all co-founders. And,
1: uh, that was the impetus. Wow. That's amazing. And what, so what, what is the, where, where's the majority of your work now with that organization or is it? Still yeah. So pushing? we are, are you still heavily involved.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm still involved. Um, I kind of do now it's more like fundraising. So I'm not mm-hmm. over in Africa, you know, in the schools, on the fields with the kids, which is what I love doing in the, um, but uh, we're an adolescent health organization. We started in HIV and AIDS, but now over the past 20 years, we've kind of you know, changed our mission to encompass everything that HIV and AIDS and adolescent health you know, needs in the drivers of disease. And so we train professional soccer players, professional coaches, and peer leaders from the local community with the curriculum that we develop. And then we send them to the classrooms or the soccer fields or the churches to deliver these health wow.
0: interventions.
2: And uh, we're in 60 countries, and we've graduated 2.9 million kids from the program.
0: Good for you, man. Thanks, Matt. Well, that wow. is unbelievable. And you were yeah. a part of that, Jimmy. I know, Championship but...
2: team, New York Fest, Mark Consuelos, I... and then you got poached. I know we,
0: we did. I know I, I did get poached. I'm, I apologize. That's an inside joke where I was <laughs> I was with Grassroots Soccer. We won the tournament in NYC, and then I got poached by a rival, and now Ethan will never <laughs> let me forget it. This, I don't know how many years it's been now, like eight years, ten. but we're still talking. Eight or ten. Ten, yeah. 10
1: years. <laughs> Transfer market. The transfer the market transfer
0: was market begging. Is, yeah, I got, I got swoop, I swooped. Got and was, I think Ethan was sad. legitimately pissed for about a, <laughs> a year or two. Uh, now he just busts my balls, and I, I, I respect it. So you have this incredible story. You find your identity in some ways. You also have a million dollars to your name. You're, you're giving back in a way that's probably very satisfying to the soul, and, and you're making a difference to the world at large in a positive way. Then in two thousand nine, you find out that you have a rare form of cancer. When you have all that going for you, how does how do you handle that? How do you even absorb that type of information? Because you have to be ah, that, that can't be me. That that's like that, that shouldn't be happening to me. And and so I wonder, as you spoke about your friend who got ostracized, you know, did you feel maybe some parallels to him with? I, I maybe I can't be the same guy anymore. What's happening to me?
2: Yes. Mm my you know my only connection to cancer at this time in my life was through my dad my dad passed away when i was 14 years old so to me when i first got diagnosed cancer equaled death so i was completely frightened scared didn't know how to process it just like you're saying it's like you know it forced me to push the pause button on my life when like all my other friends were just starting theirs, you know, jobs and marriages and kids and all that stuff. Meanwhile, now all of a sudden I'm I'm going through a really significant health challenge. And so for me, it was very difficult, um, to get the diagnosis on the flip side. Like as an athlete, I kind of put my, you know, I always, when I was a soccer player, you know, I just kind of put that mindset on where I'm going to take a, a winning mentality. This is like, you know, Second overtime, World Cup final, like, this is it. I got to do it. And, you know, when a doctor tells you to do something, or you'll die. You pretty much do it. There's really no choice involved. So for me, the hard part was after cancer. You know, it's when everyone goes away. You got piles full of pills. It's not as exciting anymore. Like, you know, when you're going through cancer, everyone's rallying behind you. You know, it's, you got all the love and support in the world. But I've never felt so alone in my life because no one really knew what that experience was like. And they couldn't know unless you go through itself and everyone's experience is different. And so like, you just feel devastatingly alone and, and unable to connect with someone on a personal level just because there's so much shit going on in your life. You don't want to, a couple things. You don't want to ask for help. I'm a guy, I'm a jock. You don't want to be vulnerable in those types of situations. You don't want to burden other people. And so you try to do it yourself. And that's what I did. In hindsight, I would not make that choice again. I would have definitely tried to reach out for help and talk to people and, and, and you know, go at it in a different way. Um, but it was the first time and like any first experience, you're just gung ho to get through it. So when the cancer returned like 20 months later, that's when shit got really gnarly because, you know, I just done this thing and I did, now I have to go do it again. And like you're running mm-hmm. out of options. And it was just it was a difficult time of my life. And I'm still dealing with the uh dump trucks full of uncertainty and uh invisible scars that need healing, let me put it that way. <laughs> Thank God for cannabis. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm joking, kids.
1: Family smiling.
2: He just he just posted his address, FedEx number two. Uh,
1: when God, I hear this I hear that and then I I was definitely unprepared for you to say the harder part was after that first bit and getting through it and then being like, where is everybody? You know? And I can imagine that optimistic approach and that athlete approach. And then you get through that and then you're there, here's your low, right? Which, which Jimmy, you and I have talked about on a different level in terms of your world cup low as you came home. Mm -hmm. But then as you, as it comes back, and then you go through it again and you're just like, Oh my God, really? How, how do you lean on your first experience to move through the second experience? Like, how do you go, do you lean on that? Do you go through a woe is me period again? Is that woe is me period, you know, like, like a metacycle, like an athlete would take. Is it this? like, how is that? What is that like?
2: The woe is me was a, a bigger dip for me the second time around, just because mm-hmm. in addition to having to go through it again, you're now decreasing your chances of survival because you're having a relapse. So not mm-hmm. only are you are going through it again, you're just, that's what happens. So like you start running out of options and that was scary as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's interesting because Jimmy, you asked the question about like my buddy in Africa and here. And like, it's interesting. Cause like I've seen, I'm getting to a point where like uh, I, the second time around I did take some clues. Like I reached out to more people and I asked for more help and I joined support groups and talked to a shrink and all that stuff. And so like I've, seen this world from both sides. Like I've been on the giving end of, of charity and community and support with grassroots soccer. And now I've been on the receiving end of charity and support because of cancer, not to mention like cancer research which saved my life. And the difference between HIV and, and cancer is like, when you get HIV, people freaking hate you. They think you did it to yourself and it's your fault. And they kick you out of the world. When you get cancer, everyone comes around you. And they feel bad for you and they support you. And it's just a really weird situation. So completely different than what happened to my friends in, in, um, in Africa. And you know, HIV is the sexual thing. You know, it's, it's bad, it's dirty cancer. Like you can't help it. It just happened to you. So it's a different experience when, when people, you know, uh, I guess support those two different types of health crisis. Um, so the second time around, yeah. Um, it was more difficult, uh, mentally, uh, but I think I did a better job at it because I was more open to receiving the help I needed to get through the dark times.
0: And there was a third time around, correct? Um, did you have another relapse, like a second relapse, or they found more cancer and you went through through it again?
2: Yeah. I mean, not it was, yes, but uh, it's not a fit. Def, yes. It was the, the second relapse. I kind of just, the two middle relapses were pretty close so i just counted as one um but yeah so i had a stem cell transplant um and that that's what failed and then i had a second stem cell transplant i used my brother lee as the donor so he donated his stem cells to save my life so so i could actually murder you right now and they would think it was my brother as long as I didn't leave a, <laughs> as long as i didn't leave a fingerprint so be be careful <laughs> to me wow, looking, that's, looking,
0: uh, how, how does lee feel about that
2: he doesn't know no, I <laughs> but Jimmy, you went through a, fair, a a pretty significant health crisis with your concussions, in a way.
0: Yes, I like, mean, I think it's undetermined how much that is going to be, or how severe that's going to be moving forward. You know, obviously, there's that CTE scare mm-hmm. um, that could be coming at any point. It's it's hard to know it. I don't know if there's enough science around it yet to to fully determine the 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 amount of damage I did to my brain, but. That's you why I'm trying to record that? everything right. I'm trying to record everything right now, you know, <laughs> and then I mean, I'm trying to remember bits and pieces so that in, you know, eight years I'm going to start saying I'm Lee Zon and I'm killing everybody, <laughs> but I'm actually Ethan, you know what I mean? So, so uh, that's my way head. of handling it. I don't know everybody. I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah. I did get my brain protected through workers comp and, oh, and I wanted to make sure that any future medical bills wouldn't spill onto my family or be their responsibility. Uh-huh. When ultimately Wonderful. I made the choices to play professional soccer and kind of try to push through my hero complex, right. uh, which which is a little weird when you have concussions because it's such a, an invisible injury, very similar, I think, to cancer in some ways. And obviously to HIV, there's a lot of stigma attached to it. Uh, the stigma is different, of course, but it's still like, uh, is he really, right. did he really have concussions? Does he really have sensitivity to light? He can't have a headache for three straight months. And you're like, actually, yes, all those things can happen. And they're true. Um, and it does impact you and it does impact your your confidence and, and how you view yourself and
2: what are you doing
0: now? And I've uh, tackling that problem at the same time that I was pr- on the precipice of retiring and having to shed that identity was, was a lot. Yes, and, we uh, do uh, Dr-, to- Dr. Lee was around for that.
1: Yeah, it's funny, Jimmy. It's not funny. It's um, I, I remember the time and asking you, we should get into this at some point, because I think that's a really, Ethan that question is interesting because you said you had your own health care and I'm thinking, it's a little bit different than Ethan's health but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I in, agree in, in at your time, it was definitely difficult and it was some real uh, difficult things you had to choose and think about and, and, and a family then to consider and, and, and all those things bearing down at the end of your career potentially. And so that would, I can't wait for that Jimmy's journey episode. Yeah. Be good <laughs> I mean, thanks. I, I got this. Lee making fun of me thinking that was funny. No uh, no call me. I'll, I'll
2: talk you off the ledge, dude. But I think it's <laughs> interesting. Cause I, you know, what we're, the comparison is like, I, you know, the I got so caught up in the what if scenarios. Like you don't know what's going to happen in 10 years. I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm living, you know, the, the five year survival rate of people have gone through what I have is 50%. Like I'm already past that. Like, I don't know what the, the secondary cancers that I'm going to get from the radiation, the chemo, the transplants, like yeah. it's an unknown. I was on an experimental new therapy that only 200 people use at the time. The longest anyone's been on it is me. Like I'm one wow. of them. It's been so like, there's so I get caught up in these what if scenarios and I don't know if you get caught up in those well like what if the cancer comes back what if I die yeah. what if the chemo's not working what if I don't get married if kids all that stuff and that's when I talk about the life after cancer so like life after concussion and life after soccer like for a lot of athletes that post playing injury world I felt the same way because my life kind of was just completely cut short on what I wanted to do because of cancer whether it's cancer or concussions it's similar
1: I think the other piece of that is you're, at the same time you're going through all of this, you're living. You have to call friends and make d- dinner plans or grocery plans or pay bills or hop a flight to wherever it is you had to go do some of your experimental research. And then you're, you're traveling by yourself and all those things. It's like, that's part of, that's part of the living through things that I don't think people really understand. Just, again, same, but different for an athlete when you're going through, your injury p- pieces, um, you know, you've you've got these these life. Uh, I gotta take I gotta pick my daughter up from school type of stuff, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh my god, like that's huge. Yeah,
2: I'm dying inside, but I got my kids still got to eat. You know, I can't yeah. imagine what yeah. that's like. So, so
0: I guess the final question that I have for you, Ethan, and we appreciate your time. When are you writing your book? Because you have to have a book at this point. You have to document this in. in oh there it is
2: <laughs> no, i did write this book when i was in chemo i wrote three of these but uh so if your kids need them i'm happy to send it but a book i don't know i need a co-author what do you thought what do you think i I, my...
0: I mean you want me to ghost write for you
2: no you can be a co-author
0: a co-author i'll wow. give you
2: name recognition
0: wow yeah. yeah i mean that's a big honor <laughs> i would i would consider that for sure would we do like the kind of the Dan Brown Da Vinci code thing where like one <laughs> chapter is one angle and the other chapter is the next, you know, I well, felt like that was really eat. easy to read because it was like writing by numbers, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I
1: feel like the, the story collides
2: at Chelsea Piers. What <laughs>
1: the, the fact that Jimmy knew, you know, that literary style and is popping in with that. You just made a very good choice, Ethan, in, in having him write some of your chapters. <laughs> I,
0: wrote, I wrote the foreword to one of your books. Dr. Okay. Lee. So, well, you I'm wrote it. Well, it. I wrote
1: it for you and like to, I mean. to tell anybody that. I just said,
0: oh, okay, now I'm being used and abused. I see that.
1: <laughs> well, oh, but okay. what I didn't tell everybody is you wrote my book and let me put my name on it. <laughs> <Right>. The truth <laughs> is out
0: there. I love it. Well, Ethan, what do you, what do you you're, so just to, just to sum up for us, so yeah. you're remission free. Yep. Uh, your grassroots soccer. I know that you're doing, uh, motivational talks. I still yeah. want to get a great deal of advice from you. Cause I'd like to do that at some point. Uh, what, what else are you working on? Where else can we find you and what you're doing?
2: You can find me at my house. Cause I'm not leaving until there's a, <laughs> uh, a, a cure or vaccine. But, um, what am I working on? I am working on, uh, Mont which is a uh, 116 acre hemp farm in Plainfield, Vermont. We got an incredible uh, television program coming out in the fall called Kings of Kush. And uh, it should be pretty fun and exciting, Um, you know, and uh, so that's kind of what I'm focusing on. I'm selling, uh, I'm doing selling charity shirts these days. We talked about that a little bit. So that's fun and exciting. Everyone's longing for the old school life. So if you're an old school fan, check it out. And uh, that's all I'm going to plug right now. I feel really weird right now
0: talking about all No, this you shouldn't. We want to give you that, <laughs> that opportunity. But uh, well, Ethan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has been incredibly insightful. And, and we, of course, wish you the best uh, on, on the health side, professionally, personally, everything included. I appreciate
2: that. I'm going to end you with this one thing. Like, There's only two things in life we can be completely certain about. One, is we're all going to have to die. But two, we're all going to have to live until we die. So how are you going to live? And we were talking about that today. So how are you going to live your life? How are you going to live through those challenging moments? And uh, I try to live by making sure to never let a crisis go to waste because it's an opportunity to do some really important things. So I'll just leave you with that.